Hello, fellow saints, and welcome to Come Follow Me with uh, Brother T. Uh, I'm Brother Jared Thomas, and uh, I was called to be a Sunday school teacher and trying to figure out how to magnify my calling while we are all held up in, in the house with this coronavirus stuff. So anyway, um, I'm also an institute teacher, uh, part-time faculty at the Sierra College Institute, and I we're teaching Come Follow Me in, in that institute program as well. So I thought I'd take a moment to to dive into Jacob 1 through 4 this week, and then hopefully I'll get it sent out today, and, and then each week, about Saturday or Sunday, I can send out the week that we just had. That's the plan anyway. We'll see how that goes. So let's let's jump right in. Jacob 1, 4. Uh, let's talk about leadership first. And uh, if we read verse 7 first, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Wherefore we labored diligently among our people, that we might persuade them to come unto Christ, and partake of the goodness of God, that they might enter into his rest. Lest by any means he should swear in his wrath, they should not enter in, as in the provocation in the days of temptation, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. So if we look at that, let's look at how Jacob was a leader. And we're going to go through several scriptures talking about how he was a leader. First of all, if you look in that that verse, and, and you can do this with me at home while you're listening, he labored diligently. First thing, he, he was a diligent laborer. He worked hard and he did it consistently. The other thing I noticed in there is that he persuaded, okay, the word persuaded, and he'll persuade in a, in a couple different things, but the first thing he persuades is for all men to come unto Christ and to partake of the goodness. Remember, notice he doesn't say force feed the goodness. He, he says partake. So we get the chance to, to also partake. There again, one of the, the basic tenets of of our doctrine of the doctrine of Christ is that we all have this moral agency and this free will to partake or to reject if that's what we decide to do uh, and that's what it talks about in, in verse 8 he says wherefore we would to God that we could persuade there's that word again all men not to rebel against God so that's the first thing we want to talk about and then we go down into verse verse 18 and it talks a little bit more about his leadership and why it says for i jacob and my brother joseph had been consecrated priests and teachers of this people by the hand of nephi so they're consecrated to be teachers and and that's the same thing for us really as as our callings that's why i'm doing this podcast right now is because we've been called to serve the lord and now we must find ways to magnify that calling because we have been consecrated in fact, in 19, he uses the word magnify. He says, And we did magnify our office unto the Lord, taking upon us the responsibility, answering the sins of the people upon our own heads, if we did not teach them the word of God with all diligence. Wherefore, by laboring with our might, their blood might not come upon our garments. Otherwise, their blood would come upon our garments, and we would not be found spotless at the last day. How many of us take that kind of responsibility? Uh, and they took the responsibility to teach, why? So that they would avoid our, well, their people's blood coming upon them, that, that they would not be held responsible for the actions of others. And I had this opportunity in my mission to, to really have this idea be solidified by my mission president, President Yefimov. I was served under, lucky to serve under Vyacheslav Yefimov. His family was the first full family in Russia to be baptized. And President Yefimov really understood this concept. And he sat me down one time, I was a zone leader, and he said, Brother Thomas, or Elder Thomas, he said, Elder Thomas, 
if you look, I am in charge, he was talking about himself, I am in charge of everyone in the Yekaterinburg mission. And that was a very big mission. At, at the time, it was one of the biggest missions in the church by a lot. And he said, and that's not just the members, that's everybody. My responsibility that they get the gospel. He said, you're in charge as a zone leader of every person in your zone. And then he talked to some of the uh, the district leaders and, and in charge of their district and areas and, and what you're in charge of the areas as well. And as I thought about that and as that, that really sunk in, that made my soul want to work harder, want to magnify my calling, want to reach out to those who needed my help, who needed the gospel, which was, of course was everyone. And, and I sought to magnify my calling just like Jacob. And in fact, we use this scripture often in our, in our mission to help people. And then he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 2. It says, Now my beloved brother and I, Jacob, according to the responsibility which I am under to God, to magnify mine office with soberness, okay, and that I might rid my garments of your sins, I come up into the temple this day that I might declare unto you the word of God. Here again, we see how serious he's taking it. He takes the responsibility. He wants to magnify it. He's he's sober about it, meaning he he's really pondered this. He wants to make sure that he's clean at the last days, but he needs to declare some things and some hard things as we get into later in these chapters to these people, to his, to his people, to the ones he's responsible for. He says in verse 3, And ye yourselves know that I have hitherto been diligent in the office of my calling, but I this day am weighed down with much more desire and anxiety for the welfare of your souls than I have hitherto been. And I think when we, we have stewardship over other people, and I've never been a bishop, so I'm not sure that, uh, that I understand what, you know, what to expect here at all. But I have served other people and I have had the opportunity to have stewardship over my own family and over those whom I'm serving. And I've, I've felt that anxiety. I can only imagine what it might be like for a bishop or a stake president or, or even for our prophet. Uh, but to have that anxiety for the welfare of their souls, that's a hallmark of a great leader. He goes on in verse uh, 11 to say, Wherefore, I must tell you the truth, right? That's what leaders do. That's what they're called to do, to tell the truth, according to the plainness of the word. He's not shy in declaring that truth, which is important. In chapter 3, verse 2, he says, O all ye that are pure in heart, lift up your heads and receive the pleasing word of God, and feast upon his love, for ye may, if your minds are firm, forever. And I like it how he, he comforts those who are afflicted by the sinners. Okay, another thing he does in verse 3, But woe, woe, woe unto you that are not pure in heart, that are filthy this day before God, for except ye repent, the land is cursed for your sakes. And the Lamanites, which are not filthy like unto you, nevertheless they are cursed with a sore cursing, shall scourge you even unto destruction. He gives warning. That's the warning right there. What else does he do? Chapter 4, verse 3. He says, Now in this thing we do rejoice, and we labor diligently to engrave in these words upon plates, hoping that our beloved brethren and our children will receive them with thankful hearts, and look upon them that they may learn with joy and not with sorrow, neither with contempt concerning their first parents. In verse 4, he goes on, For this intent we have written these things, that they may know that we knew of Christ, and we had a hope of his glory many hundred years before his coming. And not only we ourselves had a hope of his glory, but also all the holy prophets which were before us. 
we glory in Christ, right? We share scriptures and we glory in Christ. That's that's the message of this leader. And then finally in, in verse 6, he says, Wherefore we search the prophets, and we have many revelations in the spirit of prophecy. And having all these witnesses, we obtain a hope, and our faith becometh unshaken, that we truly can command in the name of Jesus, and every tree obey us, or the mountains, or the waves of the sea. In the end, if we look at this, we can all be prophets with the spirit of prophecy. That gift, the, the gift of prophecy, is a spiritual gift. It's not just for prophets who are called to lead the church. We are all called to lead something, if not our own selves. And with that, then we have the prophecy, we have the ability to prophesy, to warn those over whom we have stewardship. Right? And this is what he was looking. We search the prophets and we have revelations. We're entitled to search the prophets. In fact, we're commanded to. And we're entitled to revelation for ourselves and for those over whom we have stewardship, for our families. If we look here, we can invoke that same power, that power to command in the name of Jesus and have things obey. So my takeaway from this part of the, of the lesson really is, who are the leaders that have influenced your lives? And how have you been able to take what they did and then recreate that to be a leader in your own right? How did they make you feel? I'll tell you, one of my stake presidents uh, named President Curtis, LeGrand Curtis, he got to know each of us individually. I was a youth. He sent me out into the mission field. And he always remembered my name, always smiling, congratulated on me on whatever achievement I had made, and made me feel like I was important. And at the same time, he was not shy about calling people to repentance and also making sure that the stake was doing what they were supposed to. And he's someone I looked to. I recently wrote to him. I found him on Facebook and, and told him, thank you for being such a great stake president and an example in my life. And I think we should do that more often. If you can find leaders that really had an influence in your life, take a moment to write a quick note to them and, and tell them how much you appreciate them. Switching gears, let's talk about seeking the kingdom of God before riches. This weekend, I was watching a, an old movie. Well, it's not that old, but 19, 1990. It seems like it's becoming old uh, with my children, and it's Joe versus the Volcano. In Joe versus Volcano, you have Joe, who's played by Tom Hanks, and he's chronically depressed. He doesn't feel good ever. He goes into work. It's a terrible work environment, and he never feels good. And so in this movie, he is convinced that he's going to die soon. And that he should go out like a man and jump into a volcano, thus appeasing the gods of the volcano, basically so that a rich businessman can earn the mineral rights from these primitive people. And here he's given a lot of money to do this so he can live high on the hog for a, a week or two. And as he goes on, he's, he quickly realizes, or at least the audience realizes, that money is nice, money's great, money you can do a lot of things. But it doesn't necessarily bring happiness. And in fact, he doesn't find happiness until he finds someone, a couple of people during the movie, uh, that he can share the wealth with, including a love interest that, of course, as most romantic comedies go, that he finds and, and can share not just wealth. In fact, they lose all their wealth by the end. They lose everything. But he finds happiness in being with others. So let's take this on. Let's, let's talk about seeking the kingdom of God before riches. Let's read verse 16. At this point, Jacob is concerned for his people because in verse 16 it says, Yea, and they also began to search much gold and silver and began to be lifted up somewhat in pride. Uh-oh, danger zone, right? 
It's not that they were looking for wealth. That was not the big deal. It's that because they were finding wealth, they started to be lifted up in pride. And, and that's the real problem. And it says here in, in chapter 2, verse 13, And the hand of providence hath smiled upon you most pleasingly, that you have obtained many riches. And because some of you have obtained more abundantly than that of your brethren, ye are lifted up in the pride of your hearts, and wear stiff necks and high heads because of the costliness of your apparel. And persecute your brethren, because ye suppose that they are better than they. So if you look at that, the providence hath smiled upon you pleasingly. Meaning that the Lord wishes to bless us with riches. The problem is, is that most of us can't handle it. And we get lifted up in the pride of our hearts. And, and we start thinking that we're better than other people. So what's, what's the remedy? If you go down to verses 17 through 19, it says, Think of your brethren like unto yourselves, and be familiar with all, and free with your substance, that they may be rich like unto you. But before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches, if ye seek them. And ye will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, and to feed the hungry, and to liberate the captive, and administer relief to the sick and afflicted. If we look at that, there's several different ways that we can avoid the pride that comes along with riches. The first thing is to share, right? To remember our brethren. Uh, sounds awful lot like the law of consecration, which those of us who have been to the temple have committed to do, right? We've covenanted to live the law of consecration. We should be free with our substance. We should share. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to give up stewardship of our substance or of those of our material wealth, but that we should share our abundance regularly and often and, and then help others to become rich. Show, teach, work, give your time, give your what, what you can do, your talents, give, give your wealth as much as you possibly can, but still while maintaining your stewardship. Now, the second thing he talks about is seeking for the kingdom of God. And that's, that's tenement here. Okay, we have to seek the kingdom of God first, and then we seek for riches afterwards, or then we seek for riches while we're seeking for the kingdom of God. And we have to do it for the intent to do good, to serve, to, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. It reminds me of, of reading John Huntsman's biography. And his wife used to always tell people that, that when they were first married, they were, they were as poor as church mice as well, just like everyone else when they first get married. Well, just like most people when they first get married. And she said, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, but if we had one nickel and John had it in his pocket and somebody asked for it, he would give it to him. And now you look at how generous he is as a very, very wealthy man. Uh, and and I, I've always looked to that as an example. If you look at verse 21, it says, Do ye not suppose that such things are abominable unto him who created all flesh? And the one being is as precious in his sight as the other. And all flesh is of the dust, as for the selfsame end hath he created them, that they should keep his commandments and glorify him forever. Right? Isn't that what Kansas taught us? That we are all just dust in the wind. Anyway, Good job to all of those who are my generation who get that joke. Uh, anyway, as we look at it, at the end of the day, right, you used to see the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys. So what happens to that man who dies with the most toys? Well, he dies. <laughs> and and probably with a fairly unfulfilled life, although, hey, there's nothing wrong with having toys. But also, if you look at, this is what I call the George Bailey principle. If you remember George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, at the very end, it says, the richest man in Bedford Falls, this is his brother's toast to to George Bailey. And if you look, George was not by any means the richest man in Bedford Falls, right? But he was the man with the most friends. 
And that's what made him the richest man. And he did, I mean, he was wealthy. He did have some money. By the end, he had quite a bit of money because so many people had donated. But that came because of the friends, right? They're again living the law of consecration. So let's do what we can to see what we can do to share our abundance. I know we'll have plenty of opportunities if we continue to be quarantined uh, for the the coronavirus to share possibly food, uh, possibly toilet paper. Uh, Not sure why that's a, a big, big deal, but hey, they're still manufacturing, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, we'll have this opportunity to share our of our abundance. Let's look for opportunities to share that. Let's talk about the things that were really weighing upon Jacob's mind. And that was the law of chastity. And that the brethren, let's see what he says in verse 5. But behold, hearken ye unto me, and know that by the help of the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth, I can tell you concerning your thoughts. How that ye are beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto me, yea, and abominable unto God. And then he says also in verse 23, But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, This people begin to wax in iniquity. Let's talk about laboring in sin and waxing in iniquity. Elder Oaks had a great quote, and... I'll try to do this in my best uh, President Oaks uh, voice if I can, um, not to make fun of him just because he's so such an eloquent speaker. But he says, in the second chapter of the book that bears his name, Jacob condemns men for their whoredoms. What were these grossly wicked whoredoms? No doubt, some men were already guilty of evil acts. But the main focus of Jacob's great sermon was not with evil acts completed, but with evil acts contemplated. Jacob began his sermon by telling the men that it is as yet they had been disobedient unto the word of the Lord. However, he that told them, he knew their thoughts, that they were beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto God. I must testify unto you concerning the wickedness of your hearts, he added. Jacob was speaking as Jesus spoke when he said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And as we look at that, that's very powerful words. It wasn't so much that they were already committing these sins. It's that they were starting to wax in iniquity. They were laboring in sin. They were thinking about things. And what does Satan do now? Right? He puts images in front of us, pornography. He talks about loose morals in media, tries to introduce the objectification of, of the human body to stimulate these things that should not be stimulated outside the bonds of marriage. Now, the other thing they tried to do was they tried to justify their actions. And if you read in verse 23, it says, But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, This people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon his son. So they were taking... The example of, well, I mean, not really good examples, really, in, in terms of that, David and Solomon. I mean, there are other instances in the scriptures where uh, good men, prophets, have had more than one wife. But it shows you that the Lord, at this time, for these people, was not condoning multiple wives. He was not condoning plural marriage. And and so they were they were committing sin for this. They took it upon themselves to do this. But he feels differently. And at this time, 
he says something very different. He says, For I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. He wasn't mincing words there. He was being very specific. And what are the consequences of this? At this time, there's a consequence for an immoral society. In fact, we're going through a lot of that right now. Some of the consequences are diseases that get spread a little bit more rapidly. Uh, you get children who are born out of wedlock. You've got single-parent households, rampant divorce. You've got a lack of commitment. And these things will eventually start to de decay and corrode a society. If you read here in 31 through 35, and I won't read it all, but it says, For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people. Right? There's mourning. Why? Because there's no commitment. There's no nobody out there to be one with. Right? Because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. And it says, I will not suffer the cries of the fair daughters of this people. Okay? I won't let it happen. It says in verse 33, For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness. And I shall visit with them with a sore curse, even unto destruction. For they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. And he says, you know, you were given a commandment by our father Lehi. You knew, right? You knew that there was great condemnation in this. And he says, but ye have done greater iniquities than the, than the Lamanites, our brethren. Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children. Brethren, speaking to you just specifically for just a second, right? What are we doing? Are we are we following that path? If we are, here's here's the concern. In, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Wherefore ye shall remember your children, how that ye have grieved their hearts because of the example that ye have set before them. And also remember that ye may, because of your filthiness, bring your children unto destruction, and their sins be heaped upon your heads at the last day. In other words, don't don't try to get out of this if you're a bad example to your children because you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing and they start following that example that will be heaped upon your head at the last day so here's our chance to repent here's our chance to to change and to make make our lives better to try and be better examples and to remember to keep our thoughts pure to keep our minds pure and to really labor not in iniquity but or sin, and to not wax in iniquity, but to wax in goodness and let virtue garnish our thoughts. There are things that are nice to know, there are things that are good to know, and then there are things that are essential to know. So think about that for just a second, and think about the things that are nice, good, and essential. Kind of like good, better, best here with Elder Oaks again, or President Oaks now. So for example, things that are nice to know, well, baseball stats, um, maybe some movie quotes and trivia, so and then what are the things that are good to know, like math formulas, especially if you're in school, historical facts, and knowing some history there. And then there's things that are essential to know, right? If you're in a profession, it's, it's, it's pretty essential that you know how to do that profession. But what else is essential to know? How about the doctrines of Christ? Okay. And specifically to understand the atonement of Christ. In chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it reads, And now, my beloved... Marvel not that I tell you these things, for why not speak of the atonement of Christ, and attain to a perfect knowledge of him, as to attain to the knowledge of a resurrection and the world to come? Behold, my brethren, he that prophesieth, let him prophesy to the understanding of men, for the Spirit speaketh the truth, and lieth not. Wherefore it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as, as they really will be. Wherefore these things are manifested unto us plainly, for the salvation of our souls, but behold, we are not witnesses alone in this thing, in these things. 
for God also spake them unto the prophets of old. As we look here, right, what, what do we need to know? We need to understand the atonement. We need to look, understand it almost completely. And in fact, in verse 8, he says, Behold, great and marvelous are the works of the Lord. How unsearchable are the depths of the mysteries of him. And it is impossible that man should find out all his ways. And no man knoweth of his ways, save it be revealed unto him. Wherefore, brethren, despise not the revelations of God. So how do we know? How do we get to that essential knowledge? Well, it says here in verse 8 that we have to know, we know when we come to know by revelation. We have to have the Holy Ghost. And we know from previous chapters when we looked at earlier that you receive the Holy Ghost by feasting upon the words of Christ. And then we can speak by the tongue of angels or with the tongue of angels. But we have to be really careful. We have to be careful not to look beyond the mark. Okay? We have to be careful not to counsel the Lord, but to seek counsel from him. In verse 10 it says, Wherefore, brethren, seek not to counsel the Lord, but to take counsel from his hand. For behold, ye yourselves know that he counseleth in wisdom and in justice and in great mercy over all his works. The other thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we do not look beyond that mark. And what does that mean? He says in verse 14, But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. In other words, the Jews missed the mark because they were looking for something else. Specifically, they didn't recognize the Messiah because they were looking for more worldly power. They were looking for something bigger and better. Notice how Elder Quentin Cook describes this. He talked about different ways that we can look beyond the mark. Number one, he said, substituting the philosophies of men for gospel truth. Some people seem to be embarrassed by the simplicity of the Savior's message. They want to add complexity and even obscurity to the truth to make it more intellectually challenging or more compatible with current academic trends. We look beyond the mark when we refuse to accept simple gospel truths for what they are powerful message for those who are who are seeking more not that it's wrong to seek more information but just to reject the simple truths for that which is they think is more second example he gives is gospel extremism we are looking beyond the mark when we elevate any one principle no matter how worthwhile it may be to a prominence that lessens our commitment to other equally important principles or when we take a position that is contrary to the teachings of the brethren my wife was talking uh, recently or just last night about how there's a movement in the church or among church members or those who are becoming disenfranchised with the church to really harp on this teaching of mother of heavenly mother and seeking heavenly mother as opposed to seeking the savior who is our advocate it's not heavenly mother the third thing he says is heroic gestures as a substitute for daily consecration some members profess that they would commit themselves with enthusiasm if given some great calling but they do not find home teaching or visiting teaching, well, it's now called ministering, obviously, worthy or sufficiently heroic for their sustained efforts. The fourth thing he says is elevating rules over doctrine. Those who are committed to following rules without reference to doctrine and principle are particularly susceptible to looking beyond the mark. 
And that was one of the big things with the Jews, right? Is that they, they looked to their rules and their really strict adherence to them and disregarded the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ had brought. You know, they were living under the law of Moses for so long that when Christ told them that the law of Moses has been fulfilled, they couldn't, they couldn't accept it. And when he told them really that, that the higher law was simpler than that, that the lower law was because of the stiff, their stiff-neckedness, that they, they didn't want that. They wanted to remain, hey, I can only take this many steps on Sunday. You know, I have to wear my phylactery. I have to say this, this scripture every day. I have to do that. So we need to be careful not to look beyond the mark. Brothers and sisters, there's so much good information in these chapters. I hope that you will take the time to to really dive into them, to look at them, to study them. I also hope that as we start studying, we're, we're getting into Jacob chapter 5 now. And we're going Jacob chapter 5, and we're doing that to the end of the book of Jacob, which is chapter 7. And here we're going to talk about the allegory of the olive tree and of Sherem. Uh, and all of these other great things. So let's let's do this. Study those scriptures this week. Let's do this. Study these scriptures. And if you have questions, or more importantly, if you have some comments and great insight, please share it with me, and then I'll share it on the podcast. My email is drjaredthomas at gmail.com. That's D-R-J-A-R-E-D-T-H-O-M-A-S at gmail.com. And then that, that'll help us add to the discussion. It won't be so one-sided. It won't be just my thoughts. It'll be your thoughts as well. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, I want to close by bearing my testimony that I know that Christ is our Savior and that Jacob was such a great leader that he knew that that was the most important thing to preach and to teach. And I know that if we commit ourselves to living the gospel, that we will be blessed, not just with riches, but really eternal riches. And that's what, that's what we need to do and focus on. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.